this, <laughs> this morning we're reading from the Word of God, and it is a custom to stand during that time, not to wear ourselves out, but to draw attention to what God says to us. And so as we hear God's Word this morning, we continue with chapter 4. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. And then the Lord God provided a, a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so, so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I am, and I am so angry, I, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. This is the word of God. You may be seated. I do want to thank the congregational members for being a part of the, the interview process with Dory Dorrington Little. Dory, stand up and just wave for everybody so they know who you are. Dory has been working with us, and he and Bill Enns have been helping this session as we go through the transition. For those of you who aren't aware, I'm, I'm retiring uh, the end of this year, December 31st, and so this church is going through a transition. And the transition is obvious, not just because of my stepping down, but because of the changes that we're seeing in our culture and the changes we're seeing in our area. It kind of reminds me of the, of the comments when I came in 94. This church was basically... Uh, a secluded church off the path. This church was planted in the center area around five other existing churches, and it started in 1765, this church did. But there were five other churches that existed before that time. They were located on the rivers of North Carolina or, or in the tributaries around here. There was, there was Popletire, Theratire, uh, thank you, Sugar Creek, um, I think first church was called Fourth Creek Meeting, and then there's a fifth one I can't bring to mind right now. But the, the most amazing thing is this church was planted under a tree. It's called a preaching spot. And so as this church continued to minister, the vision it had at that time was it would minister to families within a 100-mile radius of this door, a 100-mile radius. There's only been three buildings here uh, one was the Osborne Meeting House, which is near Davidson College on 115, just south of us. 
the congregation then said we need a place to worship. They built a log cabin on this site. And then in 1856, they built this building as a way to continue worshiping God. For those of you who are unfamiliar, there's no symbolism in this building for a reason. They wanted no one to be distracted from the preaching of the word of God. So there's no stained glass windows. Um, one, of, one of the stories is that the, the preachers who, who preached here, one of them could preach so loudly that you could have these windows open and stand on the other side of the cemetery and hear him preaching. I just want to know who it was that stood on the other side of the cemetery. <laughs> but it kind of reminds me of the changes this church has seen throughout the year. And, and by the way, none of, none of those members who were here in 1765 or 1856 are here today, I don't think. <laughs> But the church continues by the grace of God. Amen. Amen. But yet the church is being challenged more than any other time in our day. It's been challenged, meaning you as Christians are being challenged to believe and continue in faith. When we were going through a, a, one of the transitions in our growth over the last years, we began to think about how we're going to reach this community. And for a church like ours, that was a challenge. Because most of the people who were here when I first came fought in World War II and then came home not wanting to have an education. They saw enough evil in the world. They just wanted to farm. And they wanted to work in the mill. And over the years, God brought new membership into our church. And, and that new membership was quite amazing because they weren't like the old membership. I remember hearing some woman say one time, she said, you know, I'm really worried about our church. And I, someone said, well, why is that? She said, well, we got all these people coming from all over the country, especially the north, and they're coming into our area. And, and, and I'm not sure if that's a good idea. And someone said, well, well, who? Who would be doing that? And someone said, like that fellow Rick Sorensen. And someone said, what? Rick Sorensen? Isn't he from Savannah, Georgia? And somebody kind of went, oh, oh, I thought he was from Connecticut. Changes are tough, aren't they? Challenges that we face. Well, why do I get into that? Well, let me just first start before I, I, I do start the sermon. Let me just say I want to thank you who have given feedback to the session through this process of interview. Um, I, I can't tell you what enriching conversation there has been in understanding the challenges that you will face over the next years, you will face. The most amazing thing to me is how, I just want to thank you, those of you, in fact, I think it was 100%, all of you said, the sermons are too short. We'd like for you to preach longer. <laughs> I, I'm just so honored by that, I really am. But I, I will try to keep the sermon short this morning since we, we don't have the most comfortable seats in the, in the county. We, we are looking at this morning the book of Jonah, and we're, we've been going through a reluctant prophet, a prophet who was sent by God to give his word to a people who didn't believe in God. They lived in a town called uh, Nineveh, and it was in a country called Assyria, and it was a godless people. They were wicked. Now, you think things are wicked now. Nineveh made what is happening in our day look tame. 
And God saw the wickedness of that city, and God, being gracious and merciful, will not allow wickedness to continue unabated. He will judge it in this world. And so though there is an end judgment that's coming when Christ returns and he will judge all the living and the dead, the Bible teaches us that wickedness in a nation can rise to such a level that he will bring judgment upon it. And in that judgment, there will be wars and there will be conflicts and there will be all kinds of things that humanity brings upon itself because of its sinfulness. And so God warns us in the Bible. He says, be careful how you treat people. Because how you treat people displays what you believe about me. What you say you believe about me is evident in how you live. Amen. And so in light of all of that truth, Jonah has been called by God to go and preach to a people who don't believe in God to warn them that they are getting ready to perish unless they repent of their evil. Now, you have to put this in the context for the full understanding of this morning's sermon. They were the people of God. Jonah had grown up in a time where he was a Jew, and his father was a Jew, and his grandfather was a Jew, and his great-great-grandfather, all the way back to the time before they were delivered from slavery in Egypt. And they had prospered in the land, become wealthy. They had spread influence around the regions of Africa, Asia, Europe, they were a people everyone knew because they believed in one God and the rest of the world had multiple gods. And yet they believed they were the people of God. And as they grew in their knowledge of God, their faith in God began to waver because they saw themselves as being so special so held up by God as his people that they must have some moral benefit of being better than all the other nations of the world. And they forgot what Abraham was told by God in Genesis chapter 12, that God told Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing, so that through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. They forgot that. They were just enjoying the big five-guy burgers and the great beer and the wonderful wine. And they were growing fat on the knowledge of God, but they weren't applying the truth of it to their lives. And Jonah, in the midst of the people like that, was called by God to go to the most wicked place on earth at that time and say, repent, because God is going to bring judgment. And he was happy to do it. <laughs> Not initially. We found out in the first chapter he really didn't want to go. He didn't want God to be merciful to those people. So he got swallowed by a fish. And when he finally admitted to God that his heart was hardened, God had the fish expel him onto the shore. And at that point, he had enough repentance that he obeyed God the second time and went to Nineveh. And he cried out, God is going to destroy you. The king 
heard the news, he threw himself into the dust of the earth, threw ashes on himself as a sign of repentance. He ordered that everyone else could, should do the same. Even the animals of the kingdom, everyone went into a huge time of repentance, crying out to God that he would spare them because of their wickedness. And Jonah, after preaching that one sermon, you would think he would... He would take the credit and say, man, I must be the best preacher in the entire world. Look how many people are repenting. But instead, he got angry. And he walked out of the city. And as we heard in the passage this morning, he goes and sits down and he's waiting. What's he waiting for? He's waiting for God to do something really really bad to the people. There are three things I want to point out to you this morning in the sermon that, that really are powerful when you begin to think about this story and our part in it because it's really about God who is calling us as the church to take the message of the gospel to a people in our day who are living in great wickedness. There are three points. It is, it is, is it right to be angry at God? The second is sitting in the shade of, of our comfort in our churches. Is that what God really wants? And then finally, the third important, most important thing Jonah reveals is that the God we worship is a God who is compassionate. He is compassionate. Well, let's take that first part because that's important. If we go back and we look at it, is it right to be angry with God? The first verse we read in chapter 4 is verse 4. And, and, and God finds Jonah, his man, going and leaving the city because he's angry at God. Have you ever been angry at God? You know, I, I really have in my life. There have been times when I don't think God makes sense. In fact, there was a study done about 15 years ago where people who were Christians went through some trouble in their life, I mean real serious trouble, cried out to God to help them, and God did not seem to bring any help to their life. And they went through a moment of crisis where many of them left the faith. In fact, if you're a Christian, nine out of ten times you will find that life is harder to live as a Christian than easier. You'll find that there will be more opportunity to be angry at God than happy with God because sometimes God calls us to do things that don't make sense. Remember our call to worship from Isaiah 55. God says, my ways are not your ways. We, we hear that. But when we hear when God says, our ways are not his ways, there's an acknowledgement that there's a battle going on with God, even among believers, where there is a wrestling of the will. Dr. Harry Mills, who is a, a, a trained uh, doctor in mental health, writes this. He says that anger is usually experienced as an unpleasant feeling that occurs when we think we have been injured, mistreated, opposed in our long-held views, or when we are faced with obstacles that keep us from attaining our personal goals. Do you hear that? And as far as Jonah was concerned, one of his long-held beliefs was that the Ninevites deserved God's wrath. But knowing that God was compassionate, he didn't want to go. 
And there's a danger there for the church today in that we know that God is a forgiving God and we've received that forgiveness as Christians and we bathe in the grace and mercy of God, but we don't care about the other people around us. Why? How can you say that, Robert? Well, have you, have you shared the gospel with them? I, I find myself falling into this same thing. I, I'm glad many of you don't drive with me because I do try to drive decently. But, but there are times when I feel like I could almost lose my religion watching people drive down the road. <laughs> and, and the most amazing part of that is if everyone drove like me, the world would be a much safer place. Well, that's kind of how we view Christianity. We think, well, if everyone went to church and if everyone did the way life, the way I do it in following Jesus, then the world would be a better place. But then I think, well, wait a minute. Do, do I really follow Jesus? Do I, do I love my wife unconditionally? Do I love and pray for my enemies? I mean, when you start looking what Jesus commands of those who follow him, it really is arresting, challenging. Don't return evil for evil, but return evil with good. Who is this God? No wonder I'm angry when I follow him. God, you ought to take that person out for what they said about me, what they thought about me, what they did to me. God, have mercy on me. You see the problem? I believe that the times we are living in is going to change the church in such ways that we will be overwhelmed if we're not listening to God. And here's what we've learned from Jonah. God allows this in your life because you have idols you worship that he wants you to remove from your life. It could be your wife. It could be your children. Your children. I am astonished at how much energy has been poured into raising children the wrong way. You give them everything you didn't have so they can do what? Destroy themselves? We have no longer the ethics of teaching how to give an honest day work or honest day pay for honest work. There is this overwhelming sense that there is a justice out there, but no one is elusive in describing what this justice is. And when you go back to the scriptures and you understand who God is and what God expects of justice, the Ninevites were wicked people because they were unjust to each other. They cheated and lied. They stole each other's wives. They did everything they could to enjoy life without any boundaries. And God said, I'm not going to put up with that. The second thing important about the passage that we read is when God says, is it right for you to be angry that I am compassionate? And Jonah says, yes. <laughs> and it's at that point that when he leaves and goes into the hill, sits on the side waiting for God to do what he should do. God, you bring punishment to these people. He's waiting and waiting. Morning comes and God has brought a plant that's shading his head. And he's sitting under this 
wonderful shade with the breeze. I'm sure it must have been 40 degrees. It, it must have been pleasant for him right there. And, and as he's enjoying that and he's waiting on God's wrath to come upon these people, it never comes until a worm comes and eats the plant and the plant dies. And what does, what does Jonah become angry over? Verse 9. What happened to the plant? It really brings up the second part of this, the sitting in the shade. You see, he loved sitting in the shade of God's grace and mercy. That's what that plant represented. It was God's grace and mercy covering him in the midst of his own sins. And in the midst of that place, he enjoyed God saying, I love you and I forgive you. But he was still waiting for God to bring wrath on people he really didn't care for. Are you like that? You know I am. If you don't believe me, get in the car and go down I-77. Why does God do this? Because he wants you to remove the idols that are replacing him. He must have sole ownership of your heart. Remember, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord with all your, with all your, with all your. And I don't. I'm like Jonah you that's somebody texting me telling me it's time to quit preaching <laughs> but I can't because I have one more point and that is this God is God is compassionate God is compassionate verse 10 through 11 hear, hear this listen to this this is so good after that stupid plant is dried up God's grace, by his great mercy, he has removed the shade. By his great mercy, he is revealing to Jonah the sinfulness of his own heart. He's making it plain. And Jonah gets so angry over the plant dying, he asks him the second time, why are you angry? And he says, angry because the plant's dead and God responds in verse 10 you've been concerned about this vine though you did not tend it or make it grow isn't that God's grace we didn't earn his forgiveness we didn't earn his love we didn't do anything to suddenly God said oh look at that wonderful person right there I'm going to give you grace and mercy no in fact while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us on the cross, didn't he? And the most amazing thing is that he would die for me, the chief of sinners. And God says, you, you're so concerned about this vine, you didn't tend it, you didn't make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died. And you're so upset, while Nineveh, with more than a 120,000 people who deserve my wrath. They cannot tell their right hand from their left. You ever seen somebody like that? I was in military school and 
And one of the things we had to learn in the beginning was we had to learn how to march. And they'd say right face and left face. And let me tell you, I had a problem with that until someone said, well, we'll just look at your hands. I said, what's the matter? And they said, well, which, which one looks like an L? Oh, that one. That's the left. <laughs> Up until that time, they would say left face and I'd turn right. Needless to say, they put me in the back of the company. Yeah. But let me tell you, when someone doesn't know their left from their right, they have no ability to make sound decisions on how to live their life. They are out to destroy themselves. That's the culture we live in today. You could be someone who's going through some sexual issue where you're not sure if you're a male or female. Let me tell you, the culture is going to tell you things that will confuse you. You won't know your right from your left. They're going to be cult. They're going to be people who are going to come into your life and talk to you about what justice is. You better be careful on that word because you go to the Bible and you look at what God says is justice. God gives it clear as far as what is right and left. The most amazing thing is that this city has become so wicked, so opposed to anything good, you would think they deserve to be wiped out of the face of the. At least that's what Jonah thought. And then God said, those are people made in my image, created in my likeness, meant to love me and glorify my name. A hundred and twenty thousand people. And he even includes the animals. And he asked the question, should I not be concerned about the great city? I guess a better way to put it is God asking us, should I not be concerned about Mooresville and Iredell County and Mecklenburg and Rowan and North Carolina and the United States and Iran and China and Russia should I not be concerned? And the story ends. It's, it's almost as if God is just leaving there for you. Are, are you concerned? Are you just clucking your tongue when you see people living wicked lives and you think, they shouldn't do that? My goodness, what else will they do outside of God? What else can they do apart from the grace of God in Jesus Christ? They're living their life the way they only have the power to live apart from God. This past six weeks we've been going through a series called The Three Circles. And we're talking about how to share our faith with people. And one of the most powerful things about this imagery you're seeing above my head is that it really describes the condition not only of your friends and your neighbors but maybe your life that God has a design for us and he, he gives us that design in his word it is a way in which we are to live in loving and serving and pleasing him but we, we don't do that we, we are people who are broken because we don't pursue God we pursue solving our 
problems created by rejecting God in the brokenness of life. We'll do it through, through finding a beauty. Some of you women spend all your money on beauty, believing that somehow that brings security. Well, let me tell you, you get to your 70s, it isn't there. Some of you men are spending all your time in money, pursuing money, because you believe that I just have enough, then I'll be secure. Well, one more dollar won't make enough. You see, the brokenness is evident everywhere. You want to read about brokenness, read the Ten Commandments. It tells you wherever you're broken, ever, in every place. And the most amazing thing is that God has such compassion for his people, the creation itself, that whether they are those who come to faith in Christ or those who reject Christ, it's still the message the church has for the world needing to be proclaimed, not by the preacher from the pulpit, but by you who are the Christian believing in your heart. That there is a way in which God has solved this problem by sending Jesus Christ into the world. Christ came, he died, and on the third day God raised him from the dead so that he can now lead us in the path of reclaiming what God had originally meant for us to have and pursuing God instead of pursuing the brokenness anymore. Isn't that beautiful? Have you received Christ? Or are you still trying to solve your own problems? Have you come to the place in your life where you realize no matter what you do, how much you have, where you live, it will never restore your relationship with God. Then you need Christ this morning. And he's available. He's right here. He's been with you this morning since you woke up. He'll be beside you when you put your head on your pillow tonight. He will be with you throughout the night as you sleep, and he's been calling to you. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Have you put your trust, your faith in Christ? Are you willing to turn away from the brokenness of your life to his word and follow him? And there you will find true life. Amen? Amen. And you know the good thing about the church? There is no one here who is completed reclaiming and pursuing God. We're here to learn how to do that. We're learning how to forgive each other the way he's forgiven us. We're learning how to love God here. Isn't that glorious? That's why people come to church. A study was done. Do you know why people come to a church? First of First reason is they drive by it and they see a building. That's not the church. The second reason people come is because they're looking for someone who would love them and accept them. Not tolerate their sin, but love them and accept them. And the third thing they look for is can I really trust people in this place with the brokenness of my life? That's what they're looking for. Would you pray with me? 
Our gracious God, we thank you that you are a compassionate father. That you turn no one away from you who seeks you. That you are constantly available to anyone who calls upon you. And that you have given us this age of the church where we may come in repentance and faith. And we can confess anything to you. And you will forgive it as we turn from it. Well, I can't help but think, Father, there may be someone in the sound of my voice who, who has brokenness in their life. They could even be a Christian this morning. And they're broken. And they know it. And they need, they need help. And they've turned to every, every other avenue except cry out to you. And some have even cried out to you. But they fear that you will somehow judge them the way you would Jonah wanted Nineveh to be judged. You declare that you are a God of grace and mercy. And that as we come to understand the grace of mysteriously changed. So that we begin to hate what we once loved. And we begin to love what we once hated. That we begin to love God. God help us please. We. We are a. We are a people who are reaping what we have sowed. And we need forgiveness and redemption. We ask and pray. Hear our prayer. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And the people of God said together. Amen.